You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hello, and welcome to episode three of Fly on the Call. Candid Conversations on Music. In this week's episode, we have Kaylin West, the vocalist and guitar player of LA power pop band Tiny Stills. You may recognize the name if you've listened to previous episodes, as she's the one who created this podcast theme song. Apart from that, Tiny Stills has released two stellar albums and a handful of great singles. Their newest release will be out this Friday, September 20th, in the form of a split with Odd Robot. The original Tiny Stills track on the split is called Everything Is Going Great, and it sits comfortably as the best thing that the band has put out to date. Kaylin and I had a wonderful conversation about the split, DIY releases, the freedom of touring, and so much more. This was another super fun one, so please enjoy. Have you been doing lately? Oh, I'm good. Um, I just shot a music video all this weekend, so um, that was like 12, 13-hour days, both days. So I'm pretty oh. tired. <laughs> um, but I'm other than that, I'm doing good. It just uh, got a lot, a lot of balls in the air right now. So I mean, I know you mentioned the music video this weekend. What else have you been like working on lately? Um, lately. So we just finished up. We finished up a, um, an EP that we were working on that we made with Odd Robot. We did a split EP where we covered we each covered a song, then we each did an original song, um, and the covers were of each other's songs. So I co- we covered um, their song Schadenfreude, and then they covered 15 to 17 months, and that's on the EP, and then two originals. So that was a lot of work. Um, making music videos, God, I don't know, just, you know, keeping up with, with the dog and and Tony (laughs) and, um, I don't know, not too much else other than that, just working a lot on music stuff and like work, regular work stuff too, just trying to find that balance. For sure. Uh, and like how, I know you obviously have a lot of experience with covers for like your YouTube channel and everything and obviously with the on the split like how do you kind of approach um your renditions of other people's covers of other people's oh, music yeah. <laughs> sure 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 um i think it really depends on the song but and how much i already know the song sometimes they're really popular songs and you can't help but hear them all the time so you have an idea of your in your head of what it sounds like but a lot of times if i don't know the song very well i'll I won't listen to it a ton. So I'll listen to it maybe once or twice through enough that I can get a grasp on the melody and then I'll kind of do my own thing around it. So 
with Odd Robot, I did know the song. Um, so there were parts that we kept kind of true to the original, but we changed some of their chords and um, kind of changed the form a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. And it just, it was, it was really fun to do because I already loved the song. Like I was, I'm a fan of Odd Robots anyway. Um, and we had to have the idea to make this split after we had played our first show together last year in August, we decided pretty right away. We were like, let's do something together. That sounds really fun. Cause we, we both just liked each other's music so much. So yeah. So I, I already knew this song, but usually just the melody and keeping that as true as I can to it. I'll change the rest of the stuff around it. Yeah. And I know they kind of changed a little bit around as far as like the rhythm and stuff on uh, some of the stuff on this, their cover 15 to 17 months. Like what, what was your like favorite part about like hearing that their take on the song? Oh my God. See, and this is why it's so cool to do this project because I'm such a fan of theirs to hear them do their spin on a song that I'm, you know, that I worked on and I know so intimately there were parts that they did that I was really genuinely upset that I didn't do it that way in the original <laughs> version. And I, the, from the second that I heard it, I was just like cursing up a storm because I loved it so much, like their version of it. You know, so they, they did double time in the chorus, which obviously I didn't do. Um, I, at that point, wasn't really so much of like a pop punk or rock band or power pop. I really wasn't kind of in that vein as much as I am now. So if I had been approaching it more of like a rock band would play that song, like, of course I would do that. And I got so upset that I didn't even like, it was so, fr- that was so frustrating. And then they changed the melody in the chorus to have like a high note in it. So the last turnaround of the chorus goes a lot, it goes higher than the original song does. And I was like, oh, why did I do that? Like, that's so, that's, like, to me, that's so obvious to have like a high, po- a high note in the chorus that hasn't been heard yet, and then they did it. And I was like, wow, I'm an idiot. That's infuriating. Um, <laughs> so it, it was a real treat to hear what they did to it. But also, like, I hate them now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can steal a little bit for the live versions from now on. I have been. I have been since I heard it. Because now I can, like, kind of, you know, I take a little bit of liberty with it. But I have. I've changed it a little bit. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. You mentioned, like, you guys kind of talking about doing the split after, like, the first show you did together, and uh, you seem to be really good at kind of, like, making these friendships with bands and kind of having them flourish both, like, personally and professionally with, like, Odd Robot. I know you did, like, the Wiretap 40-year anniversary and stuff with Sundress and Get Married. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about how that, like, comes together and what it kind of, how you approach it? I feel like to speak to that, I mean, thank you. I I do feel close with a lot of people. It took a long time to kind of cultivate those friendships and feel like I had a community of people um, in Southern California. Like I, I lived here for 10 years. I'm originally from Pennsylvania and I moved out here in 2010 and only very recently in probably the past three years have I started to find people that are kind of like-minded musicians that kind of have the same drive and dedication and like the grit and then just the wanting to do it and like you know the whole like fuck everything else I want this so bad um and I think that the friendship really kind of stems from that mutual work ethic of of wanting to do everything you can to be successful in your own capacity of playing music because it's not always 
you know, I think, I think sometimes you see bands kind of coming up and they get to do these really cool things. Um, every now and then, like everyone's got those high points in their year where they're like, oh, I got to open for this band or I got to play this great show or I made this great record, this great video, you know, and, and everything looks like everyone's having fun. But when you really talk to them and you get to like know them a little bit better, you realize like everyone went through so much hell to get to that good spot. And I think mm-hmm. it's just been a lot of kind of commiserating together and like jointly also celebrating those moments where we know how much work we did to get to that point. So mm-hmm. I think we share a lot of that, that, that really brings, I think a lot of us, the people in the community here together for sure. Yeah, that's really cool. I was actually, I was talking yeah. to um, Eric from the band proper the other day and he was saying uh-huh. that um, him and his wife were in New York for kind of like, I think like two or three years before he kind of found his community and he actually found it by like, um, making like a Reddit post on like the emo subreddit being like, oh, I don't oh, really have a community, but uh, I'd love to find one. Like, how did you kind of start to, um, you know, get that community together? Okay. So this is a, this is a really weird, I can, I honestly can trace it back to one moment and that has <laughs> to do with Sam Kless from Just Friends. And it was because Sam, I don't know how he found Tiny Stills. I don't remember how it happened. Um, but we started talking, and I, and I feel horrible saying I don't remember, but it was a long time ago, and we kind of started knowing each other. And he came down with Just Friends, and they played a show and invited Tiny Stills to play. And it was, like, in this tiny, tiny warehouse, hole-in-the-wall room of, of almost nowhere, um, just like a cement hole-in-the-wall thing in mid-city, and I can't remember the name of this venue. It's no longer – it doesn't exist anymore. It's one of those – one of those magical DIY spaces that comes and goes really fast. And, and I remember that show and the feeling of, of people who came to that show and how much fun everybody was having. And he's actually the reason why I know Jake and all them from Get Married is because he introduced us to them. And I can trace my friendship with Get Married and and on robot to get married and rob a wiretap and i can kind of like see the spider web from that moment and honestly it was like it was just a matter of i played a show to a tiny room of people who were just very cool enthusiastic people and one of the, a couple of the bands there just we happened to get along and like um I don't know, continue talking to each other, you know, and just checking in with each other and saying, hi, you know, like, how's it going? Like, I like that you did that. Great, great job. Like, you know, just like the casual kind of moments of of watching people kind of grow and kind of come up. And it was like, I I didn't know saying yes to that show was going to change my whole life and like (laughs) that I would have completely different friends. I, at that point, had no even understanding of who they were at that point. And, um, it was just one moment, yeah, and it was that. It was it was because I knew Sam, and Sam introduced me to all these people. Yeah, it's so interesting how like it's kind of like the smallest moments that sometimes make like the biggest changes. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. Like I I think about that all the time. I know, like I think in one of the interviews I was reading, um, kind of doing my research for this, you mentioned how you're like you get super like specific with like pretty much all of your like physical products like, to the point where you can kind of, like, look at a CD from, like, the first album 
and be like, okay, I can tell you when that was made and like where it was sold and stuff. Um, like, where oh, does yeah. that kind of like creativity come from, and um, what does it mean like to you and to like your fans? Um, I think it originally stemmed from, and still in some ways stems from, not having a lot of money. <laughs> it comes <laughs> from being really resourceful with what I have and trying to do anything I can to make sure that I can continue playing music and make and make records or make CDs or, you know, anything like that. Like when it, I think when you look at DIY culture in general, I mean, it's a bunch of people making zines or anything, a physical product with the stuff that they have at their, you know, availability, just what they have at that moment. And so the first CD that we ever made, it was all, um, I ordered like a spool off of disc makers of CDs so that was the only physical thing that I had, and the rest of it, I I handmade the booklet because um, I had paper and a pen. You know, I knew I could do that. I knew I could go to FedEx and I could photocopy it and I could fold it and I could make it into basically a zine. And I had ordered, you know, cardboard package packaging for it, and I I knew I could hand stamp it. And I think what it does for fans is you realize that. It really is a labor of love. I think all records are a labor of love, but when you look at it from that level of a personalized standpoint, like, yeah, I folded like 500 pieces of paper. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> that takes a long time to do. Like, even making the booklets, like hand doing the booklets, it took, I think it took like two full days of me just getting in the zone and doing it to write, make the lyrics booklets for it. And I think it just becomes so obvious to people who are buying music or buying a product from you that, that you really put all of your time and energy into making this and you care a lot about it. Not to say that not to say that people who do get produced records and produced things made care less, but I think it just becomes super obvious to people who don't understand the process of making a record how much time and energy goes into making it. They go, Oh my gosh, you 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 took two days to make this booklet. It's like, yeah, well, I spent like eight months making the record. You know, I thought two days was nothing to make the booklet. Um, yeah, so it just, I think it becomes more obvious. I mean, I know like for Laughing Into the Void, you were kind of like really into like the whole process, even like not just the recording and like stuff producing and stuff, but like mm-hmm. following the vinyl production like the whole way. Um, like what yeah. can you say about like that process? Yeah, making that was my first time making an actual record, which is a totally different beast than making a CD or just making a digital release. Because when you go into making a record, it's such a physical um, physical process that you have to you get your test pressing back, you have to listen to it, and you have to make sure that it plays back correctly because it's mastered specifically for vinyl. So you have two different masters. You have your digital masters, which sound good on CD, they sound good on the internet. Then you have your masters for making the record, and that's a completely different process. So you can you can do it where you can just put songs that are mastered for you know internet on a record, but it's it's not mastered for a record. So I wanted it to sound as good as possible, so it was mastered twice. And when I got the test pressing back, um, there was some distortion, and so I had to send it back to the mastering. Uh, lab and I had to get them to remaster it and then I had to listen to the next test pressing and so I have in my bedroom right now the mothers 
So the mm-hmm. actual um, metal plates that they use to press the records, oh. um, when, when they finally got it right, I was like, okay, you know, like I, I took, I kept them because if I have to repress them, I can, I can do that. But mm-hmm. it's like, it's a totally different process and it takes so long to make vinyl. I think people don't, if they don't produce vinyl themselves, they don't realize the turnaround time for vinyl is huge and so long now because uh, record store days started being really popular. Vinyl started being more popular. You have now all these record labels wanting to repress albums that maybe were out of print um, because everything's more popular now. So you have this huge boom in vinyl. So it took a long time to do. Um, I learned a lot about the process because I'm, I wanted to be hands-on in it, and I'm, I am an engineer, and I am um, involved in that process, too, so it was like a learning experience for me. But, yeah, I just – I'm so hands-on because I love it so much. I love everything about making music. I can't – I just can't let the, the – uh, can't let it go. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's, like, definitely worth it. Like, I mean, obviously, the, the record sounds great. I was even on, like, the Discogs page for it the other day. And I noticed, like, someone wrote a review and they were like, you know, the album sounds great and, like, it's, it has, like, a much warmer tone than, like, the digital files and stuff. So it's really cool that, like, people can actually notice the difference. Damn right it does. You're damn right it does because it was massive <laughs> for a specific. And you know what? I really, really wanted to go to a record pressing company that I trusted and respected and that I knew had good reviews because you can get records made in a lot of places. But I got these done at Rainbow Records, which is here in Los Angeles. And when I went to pick it up, I picked up my boxes right next to a bunch of Epitaph boxes. And I was like, <laughs> I'm doing it. I was like, this is this is fine. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, this, I know this is going to work. This is going to be good. You know, like, I, I went to the place where everybody else got their stuff done. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. that makes my heart swell. I'm so glad people <laughs> can tell a difference. Yeah, that's definitely got to be like a, a priceless moment too, for sure. Oh yeah, I pulled, I like pulled my tiny little car around the back of the warehouse, and I was like, "Hey, ring doorbell, like ready to pick up my records." And I just, you know, got a, a guy came out with a big old list thing and like put them down, and I put them in the back of my car and drove away. I was like, <laughs> "Okay, I guess I'm a record label." You know, like it's just, it's a whole different level of intimacy, I think, when when you start doing it yourself this way. Definitely. And I mean, you mentioned um, when we were talking about like the odd robot take on 15 to 17 months, how like you kind of at that point in time, you weren't, you know, coming at it from like a pop punk mentality, but you still had like that DIY ethic. Can you talk a little bit about like your roots musically and as far as like the DIY kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in central Pennsylvania um, and I grew up listening to Motown music and because that's what my parents listen to so I listened to the oldies station I grew up with that and then when I started taking guitar lessons from a guy who taught lap steel and a bunch of country music and then the only guitar teachers I could find in central Pennsylvania was like I got a classical teacher who could teach me to read music and then I got a country teacher to teach me how to kind of play like blues I wanted to know how to play like aggressively. So I had, I came from both schools very young um, of wanting to understand how to play guitar. And then the way I taught myself how to play when I wasn't getting lessons was 
I was listening to other people's songs and trying to play them, specifically Green Day, because they are great and I think a great place to start. And um, I was writing my own songs right from the beginning because I didn't know how to play anyone else's songs. So it was my way of being able to to make sound and make something cool uh, without knowing what I was doing. So I kind of always took all of those different, I guess, styles and, and kind of ran with them. So the first record you can hear, um, there are some rock elements. You know, I think if you wanted to produce any of those songs a different way, they could have gone a different way. But there's definitely rock elements. There's some finger cell elements where I'm playing, you know, with my fingers. I grew up playing classical music, um, like someone more like me on the first record is, is definitely like a kind of slower, sadder kind of kind of song. But I now am kind of entering more into rock and more into power pop and punk music. I always loved um, the DIY ethic just because you don't have to have a lot of money to make music. You don't have to have a lot of money to find a community of people who you like and um, you know, to support you and, and to support them. And I mean, that cost nothing. So I think I really resonated with that from the beginning because, you know, you don't have to have a, a great instrument either. I mean, I grew up playing, my sister gave me her Hyundai guitar, which is a car company. And I don't know anything about <laughs> Hyundai guitars. I, I can't even find another one, you know? So she got it as a gift from her boyfriend in high school and she gave it to me and that's how I started playing guitar. It's like, so I guess just humble beginnings like that. I think, mm-hmm. I think you'd be remiss not to resonate with DIY. I think that I don't think I can be friends with a, someone who, who couldn't understand why um, having community and caring a lot about what you make is important. I just think, I think a lot of artists feel that way, you know? Yeah, so, that, that, that's so cool that you can kind of, like, trace your, like, past. Like, kind of, that part stays the same throughout it all, kind of no matter which way you go with your music and everything. Yeah, like, I, yeah, it just, it feels, I've always tried to do what I wanted to do. Um, I didn't really think I chased a lot of trends. I just wanted to make the music I wanted to make, and I wanted to find people who I liked. And I feel like I'm finally getting getting closer to that. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I feel like this kind of maybe ties in a little bit, um, like how your music tends to be, like, you know, brighter and happier, even when the lyrics are kind of more emotionally challenging. And I know you talked about, like, laughing into the void kind of being the idea of, like, you know, the – how, in, like, the grand scheme of things, like, art isn't, like, the most important thing, but it kind of is the thing that, you know, gives empowers you and, like, gives you that happiness even when the kind of the rest of the world is getting you down. Um, can you talk a little bit about, like, that style and um, how you kind of came into it? Yeah, I mean, I think I grew up listening to a lot of music as an outlet. You know, I liked songs that were catchy and happy and upbeat and fun, but it was a bit of like, you know, escapism in that way because you're really sad, so you have to put on something that's going to make you not sad. Um, But with Laughing Into the Void, um, 
I, I definitely was going through a time where I didn't feel very good. Again, like I, both of these records really was not, I wasn't feeling great when I was making them. Um, it was just an outlet for me to make something that made me feel better at the end of the day. And so I think a lot of times the subject matter is very dark and sad and honest. And the songs themselves have a tendency to be a little bit more upbeat and um, a lot happier sounding than maybe the lyrical content. So, yeah, I just, you know, I'm, that's always kind of been where I come from. I always kind of come from a dark space when I'm writing. But kind of in a comforting way, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I it, I want to like the songs that I make, and a lot of times when I listen to them again, I want to, I want to like, tap my feet. I want to, like, you know, bob my head to it. I want to, like, get into it and enjoy it. But I don't know. I, I don't like writing songs that feel kind of shallow to me. You know, like, I think a lot of pop music can tend to feel really good but mean nothing. And I try, I want to split the difference on that. Like, I want to make great-sounding songs that are catchy and fun and happy but that mean something to somebody. You know, I feel like that's always been my origin of trying to make music. I, I want the best of both worlds. I want it all. I want my cake. I think that's like kind of something that I feel like it's getting more and more popular. I feel like for a while there was like a lot of like elitism as far as like the kind of more like emotional music, um, like the emo mm-hmm. and punk scene and stuff. But I feel like within like the last few years, it's been people have gotten maybe it's just with the people that I'm around getting older and stuff too, but like I feel like people have kind of started to open their minds a little more to different sounding music that still kind of resonates the same way. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know why I feel the same observations that you're feeling, but I do. Um, (laughs) I feel like there's like a little people are getting less pretentious about things, but also maybe that's just the crowd I'm hanging out with. I know people are assholes you know, no matter what sometimes, but, but I, I don't know. I don't feel like the people I know are high and mighty on anything right now. Like nothing. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm jinxing it by saying that, but you know, I just, maybe I've surrounded myself. It sounds like you too with people that, you know, you like, and I don't know. No one I know is holier than thou about stuff. So. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and I know like over the last, like, couple of years you've been ramping up like your touring schedule a lot and I've seen you say like multiple times how you like really love you know just like the feeling of touring and um like waking up in a different city every day and stuff like can you talk to me a little bit about that and your experiences with touring yeah my last tour that I my last full U.S. tour I did was get married and I remember when I got home I woke up and I was confused and I think you know, if if you've ever traveled a lot, you know what I'm talking about, where you wake up and you don't know where you are. Um, but when you tour a lot, you know, for like six weeks or something, you get to a point where you wake up in a new, new place every day and it starts to feel normal. Um, but when you wake up at home, you're confused why you're home. And that's, <laughs> that's a really weird feeling um, to have. But when you're in the habit of touring or you get into that, the groove of it after like week two, you know, you start to realize that you really only do need a book bag 
to live out of or a suitcase, <laughs> you know, and everything else that you have at home, you don't really need, you know, and that is very freeing. Like, and I think people who do like backpacking trips or anything like that probably feel the same way, but it's really awesome because, you know, don't get me wrong, it's hard, you know, trucks break, cars break, um, you you run into weird people and eat horrible food, you know, all that stuff. But also to be out there playing music consistently, which you love doing already, and then every night going to bed and waking up somewhere new and getting to try some new novel thing, you know, even if it's a new coffee shop or something, and then you pair that with realizing that the only things you need are in your suitcase at that very moment, like, that's a recipe for happiness. Like, I'm sorry, but you do what you love. You realize you don't need a ton of crap. And, like, you get to try new things every day. I don't know anyone who can genuinely say they would be unhappy doing that. I think it's like, it feels like almost vacation, but it, it's work. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying it's vacation. <laughs> it's not. It's hard. But it's so rewarding. And I think, you know, I'm, I just, I'm so happy when I'm out there doing that. I think a lot of musicians are, but me in particular, like I love being on tour right now. So I feel like I've yeah. never like truly okay. heard someone like kind of talk about like the freedom of touring like that. And like, that's really cool that you have that kind of perspective on it. And is, you mentioned like kind of doing something new every day. Is that like something that you like purposely try to do, like going to a different coffee shop instead of going to the Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks that's around the corner or whatever? Yeah, like breaking yourself out of those routines. I feel like, have you ever heard of Tough Mudder? Do you know what that is? No, I haven't. Okay, so like a Tough Mudder is something that people who are like really into being fit and they want to like challenge themselves with something called a Tough Mudder, which is like this crazy triathlon thing that involves like going through mud and swimming, you know, like it's it's like a spinoff of that, and I, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's just hard to do. It's like something that you would never choose to do. You think, oh, that's crazy. Why would I want to climb this rock wall and then go swim through mud and try to race people to the, the finish line of this horrible, like, obstacle course? But the benefit of, like, a tough modder in reality is that you overcome yourself in it because you go, I would never want to do that. And you go, no, I'm going to do it. And then when it's done – the confidence that you feel is insane, but that is actually the benefit of it. Even though it's hard to do it, like mm. overcoming yourself is really what the health benefit is because you challenge yourself. So in some ways, challenging yourself to go do a new thing every day, when that becomes your new normal where it doesn't feel intimidating to go to the new coffee shop because it's not in your routine, it just feels really free. It feels like you get over that little bit of anxiety like talking to a stranger because you have to start engaging with people you don't know, you know, or you you don't know how to use the the checkout counter on the left side of the store because you always go to the right side of the store to check out your groceries, you know, but this one doesn't have it, so now you have to go to a person. It's like these tiny little things where, because I have my routines too, but, like, I'm sure you do as well, you just, like, have to break out of them. You force yourself, even though you don't necessarily want to, you just have to keep doing these things. So it feel that feels freeing too, just to throw that yeah. little like extra bit in there. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's my take on it, at least. That's really cool. Yeah, and I think that's like part of why I enjoy doing like interviews so much too, because like 
you know, typically right. I'm kind of a, I got a lot of social anxiety and everything, but like ever since I started, like the first interview I did, I was, you know, super nervous about and almost like canceled it and everything. But then once I did it, I felt so good. And like now I, I definitely do like chase that feeling and it's definitely helped within like great real life too. Yeah, for sure. Totally. That's exactly what I'm, what I, you know, what I'm saying too. Like just getting over your fears in that way and doing it, like you feel so good about yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and so I'd probably be remiss in asking, like, do you, do you have any uh, upcoming tour plans in the works? Um, right now I do not. I, we had some scheduled, but they got canceled, which was really upset about. Um, so right now it's been kind of a hard rush to kind of get everything ready to release this EP, but I hope to do more touring, um, very soon. That's, that's definitely my happy place and I want to be out there doing it more. So, yeah. Awesome. And hopefully I'll be able to finally catch you this time around too. (laughs) Yeah. I'd love that (laughs) for sure. Um, so I know, like, doing my research and stuff, you've been on, like, a lot of podcasts, and you're also, like, super active with, like, YouTube, especially with all the music videos you do. Um, and I know, like, for your work, you work on, like, a lot of audiobooks and stuff, and you were even, you did, like, voicing for, um, like, a kid's show recently, right, for, some, for, like, a Cartoon Network offshoot or something like that? Yeah, um, I sang on My Best Furry Friends Forever, which is a toy line that became a cartoon um, in Australia. So awesome. I'm the voice of one of the characters. I'm the same voice on one of, the, of one of the characters <laughs> on that show that has a pet unicorn. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, what is, like, your relationship with, like, all these different kind of, like, audio and visual mediums? And, like, how does it compare to, like, your music? Mm, I feel like they're all a little bit different. I mean, music is definitely my outlet for my creative feelings. Um, I think they definitely inform me. Like, I so I do audiobooks a lot of times for work. I direct them and I produce them. And that informs the creative process because a lot of times with writing, I come across not always, but sometimes come across a line or something in a book that I'm like, that is a brilliant line, and I write it down. So I I read a lot, and I think that helps me with writing lyrics. It helps me with um, just being, you know, inspired by other art. So that that I definitely don't take for granted um, in that way. Podcasting, I've engineered a bunch of podcasts and recorded them and then some production. And I don't have as much creative input there, but that's helping other people kind of fulfill their creative visions in that way, too. Um, so that's fulfilling in its own, own different way. Um, and then what else? Oh, the singing for cartoons or for for doing any kind of composing work for TV or commercials, um, kind of group all that together. Like that feels like a way to actively and monetize my skill set. So I do that for, I mean, it's creative. Don't get me wrong. It's really fun. But also there's a requirement that I have to meet. So mm-hmm. I have to do everything a certain way. And there are rules there. There are there are things I have to follow. There are directions. You know, it's really, it is a job. It's creative, but it is a job. And sometimes that means 
not getting to do what you think is best. Sometimes that means having to do what someone else thinks is best for you to do using your skill set. So it's, it's much more limiting than it is creative um, in that sense. So taking all that back to music, uh, I've learned things from each, each of my jobs that help me help inform the way I want to move forward with the music that I write, you know, but it's, it's definitely like, there are definitely different hats I have to wear using all of the things that I know about recording or engineering or being creative or music or, you know, it's kind of, it's weird how they're all related, but, but super different at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Like you mentioned kind of like when you have to take like what you think is best out of it, as far as like the stuff that you're like being paid for, like that, I'm sure that really influences like your music because like you know that feeling of you know this isn't quite right but it has to be done like in the, for your mm-hmm. own music you can probably just be like okay this isn't quite right so let me find what is right. Yeah, for sure. Like a lot of times with music projects and deadlines like that, like you and I'm sure everyone has has this to in a certain extent to their in their work you know, where they have to answer to someone else who has the money and you have to listen to what they want and you have to do your best to fulfill it. Even if you don't think it's right, like you have to you have to take their vision and make it real. You know what I mean? Like when you're doing creative work but for but for like money in any capacity, like it's not really your vision. You're you are the conduit to allowing someone else to get to what they want. And sometimes you don't agree with it, but that doesn't mean you're not the right person for the job. It just means you have to you have to take their words, process it, and spit out something that you think is what they're going for. Because it's not personal. And that's the other thing about when you start doing things like that, like like same for that kids show. Um, that I feel like it's a great example of me being like, I don't know if that performance was what I think is good. Will you take a listen and let me know? You know, and it's kids singing. You know what I mean? It's not my perfectionist version of that wouldn't have been right. You know, it's a kid. You know, so it's like I have to let go of some of my control issues or the things I think sound good to allow what's best for the show or allow what's best for that song. You know what I mean? And it's it's not always comfortable. You know, sometimes keys aren't the keys you would normally sing in for music or um they want it to sound a certain way, and so you have to change the key of the song, and then you have to perform it, and you're like, okay, well, i got to change it to this, and yeah, I'm not really comfortable singing that high, but let's see what happens. You know, or I'm not comfortable singing that low, let's see what happens. Um, and sometimes yeah. they love it, and you're like, okay, cool. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's weird doing music <laughs> for, for work like that, too. And I do it sometimes, not all the time, but this beast for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's also really interesting how you mentioned, like, there will be, like, random lines in, like, the books that you work on that kind of stand out to you. And I know, like, one of the things you've mentioned a lot in the past is kind of, like, your lyrical style. Like, one of the biggest compliments for you is when someone says, like, oh, I could, if this is still during the AIM days, I could use that as an away message. So, it's like, they're kind of <laughs> having that same experience right. that you have with the books that you're working on. Yeah, like, to me, that's, like... I see that in in books and I go, yeah, that was, that was good, you know, and (laughs) I definitely have that feeling sometimes with the books I'm working on or just passages where you're like, that's really powerful. Um, And and that feeling that I get 
I feel like I'm grateful that I can still have that feeling have to find art or find music that gives me that feeling because it makes me feel like I can still recreate it somehow for somebody else. I feel like that's kind of what drives me to even consume new music or new books or new anything is that feeling of like, oh, that was good. You know, like just that one thing that makes you really go like you can sink your teeth into it. Definitely. Yeah, that's a really uh, cool feeling to be able to chase like in all those different aspects of your life. Yeah, it gives you something to aspire to, you know, and push yourself. I don't, I don't feel like I know a lot of people, at least artists or musicians, who are, like, content all the time. Like, that's not a good place to be where you're just comfortable. Like, everything kind of comes from wanting to be something else. You know, you mm-hmm. want to try to make the next best thing. You want to try something new. You want to experience that. And I don't think art is ever really born out of being comfortable, you know. And I think if you're not inspired by stuff around you to chase something, I think a lot of times you get bored and then you don't feel like you want to make anything. Speaking of art not being the place that, you know, comes from being comfortable all the time, uh, I'm curious, like, what's kind of, like, a recent success and, like, a recent challenge that you've faced with your music? Mm, a, A recent success is definitely finishing this EP that I I'm excited because we do have one new song coming out on it and it's a song that I really wanted to find a good home for it because I I really like the song and I'm really proud of it and I'm really proud of how the EP sounds and how it came out I feel like it's the best thing we've done and so that I think is a win Um, I think some challenges I'm having are definitely being hung up on some songs that I've started that can't seem to find the right choruses for or the right um, pieces. I can't put the right pieces together for some of these songs that I've had that I don't want to give up on. And it's been a pretty constant struggle. And some of the songs I'm talking about I've had since like 2012, you know, and it's, 2019 but I don't want to give up on them and I think that's a pretty constant struggle for me I think definitely being caught up in not being able to find the right pieces for those songs like that really sucks and I I keep thinking I get better as a writer and that I'll be able to gain some perspective on them and then you know maybe come back and redo them and Mm -hmm. I can't I keep getting hung up on them well, I mean, I think wasn't my skin that was on uh, Laughing to the Void. That was one that was like five or six years old, even. So I'm sure you'll. Yeah. There's definitely like hope. <laughs> like you've done it in the past, though. So you can definitely do it again. I'm sure. Well, I appreciate that vote of confidence. I mean, I don't think I have that myself, so I appreciate <laughs> that. All right, here we go. We're right at the end of the interview, so it's time for me to shout out another podcast that I look to for influence in starting this show. This week, I'd like to shout out Stereo Confidential, formerly known as the Bonner Vinyl Podcast. In their new format, the three hosts go album by album through a band's discography, picking apart and analyzing everything about it. The podcast is equally valuable whether you've been a longtime fan of the bands they discuss, or you've only heard the name. I appreciate the depth they're willing to go and hope that in some ways my interviews for Fly on the Call can be a direct from the source analog to the work that they're doing. 
So thank you, Stereo Confidential, for all the hard work you do. As a kind of final question, um, I am stealing this fair credit due to uh, Ron Funches Getting Better podcast. Um, what is kind of like one piece of advice that you have or just something that you've been thinking about in general lately, um, either in regards to music or just like a philosophy of life as a whole? One thing I've been thinking about lately because of Twitter, I keep seeing people I know give advice about being a musician on Twitter. And like, I see them get all these retweets and all these likes and stuff. And I read the advice and I'm like, and this isn't directed towards anyone in particular, but it's just like, I keep seeing it. And then I keep seeing someone else do it. And then it's a different piece of advice. And I'm like, okay, there's no advice that I could possibly give anybody for being a young musician, being a musician, or trying to have a career in music, or the right way to tour. Like, I just, I don't think anyone has the answers anymore. And I don't think, I I especially don't think I have them. And, (laughs) uh, you know, I keep seeing seeing these these totally viral tweets on how to make a record, or the right way to do it, or the right way to, and, and, you know, the only thing that I can possibly say to that is, like, that's total bullshit. Because, there's just no advice anymore. <laughs> There's no right way to do it. There's no wrong way to do it. And I just have to call bullshit on that. And I think you just have to follow your passions and just see where that takes you and then learn from it. I just don't think I could give anybody advice. That's really that's really how I feel. And that's episode three of Fly on the Call. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to check out the Tiny Stills Odd Robot Split out this Friday through Wiretap Records. Thank you to Kaylin, as always, for our theme song, but also for the great interview. Special thank you to The Alternative for helping to promote the show. Please subscribe to or follow Fly on the Call in whichever podcast program you use, and let me know about any feedback you have on Twitter or Instagram at flyonthecallpod, or via email at flyonthecallpod at gmail.com. Remember to check the socials on Monday for a clue of who the next episode's guest is, and a chance to hear the episode early. Your time and support is so appreciated. Have a great rest of your day. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. I feel like the shot was... Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzard. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.